you were talking before about the church. I call those political Christians. It's going to step on somebody's toes. To seek the peace and to make the peace, sometimes you have to disturb the current comfort level. Hello, this is your host, Marshall Fields, and welcome to Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process, or P-Chat-P for short. Here, we talk about real-life experiences and mindsets that help us navigate difficult conversations, even if we're just talking to ourselves. We can change the world by changing how we talk to it. Welcome to part two of Walking the Talk. We are back with my good friend, David Hager, continuing our conversation In our last episode, we left off talking about examples that your father set for you, being a man that believed if you say one thing and do another, that you are defeating your purpose and how it is possible to keep the peace versus actually seeking it. I have no doubt that your father understood that. Well, I don't think we're going to get over any of that until we stop using the word me and start using the word them, Mm. because when it's all about me. And how's it going to affect my reputation? You were talking before about the church. I call those political Christians. It's always, oh, is this going to step on somebody's toes? And so the concern is about me and how it's going to project me in the public eye rather than them and what their need is. How's it going to benefit them? And so I know this all sounds like maybe to some people like we're just blowing smoke. But this is truly, I know this is your heart. And this is my heart. This is where I live. And what I believe, what my wife and I believe, and what we try to convey to our children and grandchildren. Mm. I tell you, it's easier to quote a scripture than to live it. I will just say it like that. It is easier to quote the scripture than to live it. And my hope is that folks will get to a point to where They see the importance of doing things differently, thinking in different ways. I'll give you an example. When you are, just to paint a picture, a real life picture of what could happen, you're driving down the road, you're on your way to work, got a great cup of coffee, life's good, and you're driving down the road and you come upon a protest. And this protest has to do with, let's say, Black Lives Matter view yourself as someone who's never participated in racism, never had anything to do with it. The the protest in your eyes, based on your perspective at the time, could be nothing but just an annoyance. Just get out of the way. You're just, you're causing all of this disturbance. And then there's the other thought. Look at the people. And I've never seen a crowd of Black people at, you know, Black Lives Matter movements. It's always been multiple races. And so when you see that crowd, you see things in the media or whatnot, it is an opportunity to be annoyed, be bothered, be like, why don't they just shut up? You know, things aren't as bad as they used to be. Or it's an opportunity to think, I might not agree with everything and I might not have all of the information, but as human beings taking their time out to go out there and to protest, maybe, just maybe, there's something to it. And back to what I was saying before about how we as human beings, we like to simplify our thinking with binary. It's either one or two. It's, I mean, one or zero. It's either up or down, left or right. It's right or wrong. I think it's easier to disregard it 
and not give any thought to it or to create a situation that gives you permission not to think about it. In other words, to say all lives matter and say, we can't put focus on that because all lives matter. I think that's kind of a pathway to disregarding some of the validity of movements like that. Or if you saw a hundred different things and out of that hundred things, you saw this one thing that you saw in the media or whatnot that kind of counterattacked that movement, you can hinge to that one thing and amplify that so that the other 99 don't require your focus to change how you think. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And let me give you a, a biblical example of that. I mean, most people know the story of the Good Samaritan. So we focus on the Good Samaritan. But the fact of the matter is, walking down that road, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan all saw the same thing. They all saw the same thing. They all saw the same suffering. They all heard the same cries for help and relief. But only one of the three, 33%, decided to stop and do something about it. Now, he didn't say, I'm going to join you. I'm going to become someone who is down and out on the side of the road. He said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to try to understand what happened here. Not only that, I'm not just going to pat you on the back and say, God bless you. I hope you get well. You know, the Bible says God heals. No, he took him to a place put him in an inn, paid for the expense. And not only that, the next day, what did he do? He came back and he checked on him to see if he was okay. So these kind of opportunities happen every day, just as you've described. And we can choose to ignore them. We can choose to say, you know, you're an annoyance. Don't get in my way. Or we can choose to try to understand why what is this all about? What is the motivation for this? And to try to put ourselves, we can never do it, but try to put ourselves into other people's shoes and try to think, how would it be to walk in their shoes? How would it be if I was the one who was being persecuted? I was the one who was experiencing denial. I was the one who was experiencing profiling. And actually, it doesn't mean that you have to pick up a you know, across and be protesting, but try to understand, try to identify and try to make a difference in that way. You know, you touched on an interesting point. I have found that in having a military background, you'll get this. There is a battle and it has many different types of artillery and ballistics. And I think we fight against evil, but evil in and of itself has several arms, you know, racism, that's an arm, poverty, sex trafficking, womenizing, hate, bullying for any sort of, re- like there are all of these arms, you know, greed. So we're all fighting against evil, but the type of evil might differ. And so then if we look at one specific one, which obviously I'm going to say systemic racism. Within that fight against systemic racism, there are infantrymen, there are paratroopers, there are people back at the office working in the mailroom in the communications sector. And so 
we all have our role to play if we so choose to step up to it. Because whereas I am not someone who typically goes out and protest, I just don't do it because I believe protest help create attention, which is needed. And I am thankful for the people who are willing to go out there and march and protest because they bring attention. After the attention has been received and after the awareness is there, to your point, it's what do you do about it? Because what you said, I could sum it up into this small phrase. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Do something. So you never have to march. But when you are in a position where you were in that boardroom or you have that policy or that documentation in front of you and you have the ability to either sign it to help move human rights or help move the positive ways that we can interact and put safeguards in place, or you have the opportunity not to sign it to not create policy or empower things that you know will not benefit humanity the way that it should. Like Mm -hmm. that's your role in that. And the people that are in positions of power to actually make a difference, we need more of them. We need more of them to, even if they are moved by a march, we don't need them to be impressed by what has happened. We don't need them to say a few words. We need that difference to be made and the things that we decide to or not to empower. And it doesn't need to be lip service. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I totally agree with you. I want to make sure that those listening understand you got to count the cost. It's not always comfortable. It's you say, well, you've taken a stand and so it must be easier than no, it's not always easier the next time. You still have to make a decision that I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm not going to back off from this. And is there some fear? Yeah. Was my dad afraid? Yeah. Was my mom afraid? I'm sure she was. Small children in the house, the KKK at the door trying to get in. Yeah, I'm sure there was a level of fear there for sure. And is there fear? Is there anxiety? Is there uncertainty? Yes, but you have to be so rooted and grounded that your choices consistently stand for what you believe. And I know that's a dangerous statement because there are people who believe totally opposite what I do. But I want to make sure that for me and my house, that we're standing for the right thing and we're counting the cost and we're saying it's worth it no matter what happens. Believe me, I received hate mail. I received death threats for not only my stand on racial issues, but my stand on pro-life issues. I've been one of the 10 most hated by Planned Parenthood. And it, for me, it's much easier. I'm sure you would say the same thing, Marshall. It's much easier for me to put myself in those crosshairs than it is to put my family. Because you really worry about what's going to happen to your wife, what's going to happen to your children. But we've had these conversations and Pam and I believe that it's worth it. And she stands beside me and I stand beside her. Hmm. Well, I've had the honor to meet your wife and that does not surprise me at all. Does not surprise me at all. You all are definitely a blessing to those that you interact with, which was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because 
I don't think we can have enough role models and enough people who actually walk the talk and live out the example that we want to see increased in this world. Genuinely caring about people can, well, to your point, you put the focus on them instead of yourself. And so then it becomes worth any level of discomfort that you might experience. Because something that I've said in uh, recent coaching sessions that I've had is when you do the right thing, like if you truly believe earnestly, honestly with yourself, if you truly believe you're doing the right thing, what happens next doesn't even matter. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly right. So when you are faced with situations now in this day and age, whether it be talking about plan B, controversial issues with plan B, um, Planned Parenthood, the CDC, different treatments, or talking about things that some folks believe science and religion are in direct opposition. When you are having all of those controversial conversations, what is your thought when you are having to explain to people who you feel will not listen? Or when you're having to explain your viewpoints and your thoughts to people who you've already in your mind, you believe that they've made up their mind about you and they're not going to receive what you're saying. Like, What's going through your mind when you're having to deal with circumstances like that? That's uh, something I've been questioned about and accused of a number of times before, and that is you try to bring science and faith together and they're separate. They don't support each other. And my response to that may be simplistic, but I always say that my faith is always supported by science. And what do I mean by that? That is that the creator of this universe who created every atom, every molecule, every cell, our DNA, our RNA, who put us together, he understood that he was creating all that and he put it into motion. But because he is such a loving God, he didn't say, David, you've got to do it this way. Marshall, you've got to do it this way. He gives us free choice. And in that free choice, he allows us to choose what we will believe. And what I believe in faith is that God created science, that we can take what God created and we can divert from what he intend, would intend for us to do and do it our own way and go in a different direction and create things, if you will, from a human standpoint that are destructive, that whatever it is, but his intention is always good. His intention is always loving. And he gives us that free choice about how we're going to do it. And so I believe that when I was accused of saying that, well, how can you be opposed to abortion? How can you be opposed, especially when I was at the FDA and we were debating medical abortion or what I call chemical abortion, where you take medication and now 45% of all abortions are by pill taking, not by surgical intervention. How can you be opposed to that? Because it's free choice of the woman to decide. Well, what 
is neglected there is the fact that God created life. He created the woman's life, the father's life, but he created this baby's life, okay? And so the term that's often used is fetus, but I choose to say infant because fetus is kind of distracted. It's little, it's discardable, but an infant, a child is not so much so. And God created that infant in his own image, in his own likeness. And what right do we have? Yes, we have. He created us as instruments with free choice. But what we right do we have to destroy what was created in his image? And so, once again, my faith in Scripture comes to support my statement, my belief scientifically that abortion, destruction of life is wrong. So that's kind of the way I work through that. I've never been conflicted that because I'm a scientist and I have to see things proven, they always are proven out by the God that I love and serve. Mm. So what I can feel or envision right now is a lot of listeners up to this point, I would say dare say the majority have been like, right on, man, he's good. He's talking to, he's done. And then you say that you're pro-life, which could be something that they don't agree with, or you talk about science and, and religion. And so to be their voice, real life in this time, I don't understand. I'm going to say what I think some of them might think. I don't understand how you could be so open-minded and be for wanting to help create equality and coming from the background and been through all that and talk about not wanting to persecute people, but then you want to be pro-life and you want to persecute someone's choice, you know, because it's their body. It's my body. And no man has a right to tell another woman what to do with their body. What would you say to that? I'm totally putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that at all. And it does come back to choice, but that choice was made prior to the time of conception. So that choice was made when an individual decided, I'm going to be sexually intimate with someone and am going to choose not to use a method of contraception. Now, people come back, let's step aside just a second about plan B and what's called emergency contraception. And that can work two ways. It can interfere with ovulation, but it can also interfere with implantation. And the reason that I way back was opposed to plan B was I knew that the next step was going to be that it was going to be over the counter, which means that women could get plan B without any prescription. Okay. But the next step beyond that was to make chemical or medical abortion to be commonplace. And so there was a sequence of events that happened there, but I understand, I empathize with women who are found, that find themselves in a place of having a pregnancy that they don't really desire, what is often called an unwanted pregnancy. But I cannot separate myself from the fact that that infant was already created in God's image. And there are literally millions of people who desire to adopt and people's, you know, the response is, well, I'm not going through childbirth and give my baby for adoption, but there are options for that infant. 
to be adopted, to be raised, and to be given an opportunity for life. So, yeah, it's a controversial position, and I don't back down from it. Right on. I'll tell you what, there have been times, and I'm going to use a very personal example to describe kind of what I'm feeling and what I think some others might be feeling right now. There was a time in our marriage where there was danger approaching my family, and I stood up to the danger. And there's there's this source of anger and testosterone and things that make you just kind of man up in the moment, like, no, this is not going to happen. And that is always there. It is a resource that you can pull from in times of danger, you know, fight or flight, you know, and sometimes flight is not an option. That same tendency can come up in situations where we're just having a conversation and there is no actual danger, but it is that emotion that drives you to want to hold your stance. And so the reason I mention that is who we are is who we are, how we choose to use it, when we choose to use it, and the consistency thereof determines how the world sees us, how we see ourselves, the content of the character, whether times of comfort and convenience or times of challenge and controversy. If that character stays the same, then that is who you are. And my friend, you are who you say you are. And I respect you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So we're about to come to a close, but I would like to ask if you were talking, you know, based upon your past experience as a childhood, based upon your experiences as a young man, and then growing and developing through all of the places that you've been, careers that you've had, high risk, low risk, all of the things that you've been through. If you were sitting face to face with someone who is in a diversity meeting or in a board meeting where they're discussing whether or not to implement some type of communication training as it relates to racism or some type of diversity program to help improve employee relations or something to implement in their city or their government. And they're feeling uncomfortable because they don't know if it will be well received and they're afraid of some of the controversy. They believe it's right, but they're afraid of you know, how things will happen because you can never fully know what's going to happen. What would you say to them? Well, I would begin by inviting them to come into the operating room with me. And I would say, would you just stand around the table as I make an incision? And I'm going to make an incision in a Black American, a white American, Hispanic American, and an Asian American. They all have different skin colors. But once I make that incision, every layer, every cell layer, every blood vessel, every organ I encounter is exactly the same. There is no difference. So when we can get to a place where we can begin to see the fact that we are all created in his image, that we're all created in his likeness. And 
that we all deserve an equal opportunity. And I would look at that board chairman. I would look at that mayor. I would look at that governor. And I would say, are you willing to see these individuals below skin level, beyond skin level, and allow those individuals to achieve what they can possibly achieve, to give them every opportunity to not discriminate against, to not hold back, to not hire in a racially discriminant way. I mean, this goes far beyond Black Lives Matter and demonstrations in the street. It's in everyday hiring. It's in what happens in the workplace. And so can we come to a place where we can see that every individual has that opportunity that my dad taught me way back, everybody deserves an equal opportunity. Mm. And as for me, number one, I agree with everything that you said, but number two, the quickest way for us to get there is to change the way we communicate and not just with others, but with ourselves. Because if we can see enough of ourselves or see enough of our family or our children or the people that we know and care about and see every day, if we can see that in someone else, regardless of what they look like, then the heart has this incredible thing of creating empathy that will help you do the right thing for the sake of someone else. But it all starts in how we communicate. So we can communicate to grow. We can communicate to create a bridge and not burn one down. So let me just close by saying right along to the communication is try to begin to understand why and not just ask what. Why is this like this? Why is this person like this? What has happened to this person? What are the root issues? What's the background? So that we can begin to try more effectively to walk in their shoes. And that goes 100% both ways. So if you've seen someone who has been victimized, then understanding how they're feeling in that moment and everything that led up to it. But if you are someone who is being victimized and victimization doesn't mean that you're weaker than that other person, but you've been offended or you have heard something that, you know, has uh, racist connotations, considering where the person who said it to you came from and then having that conversation with them versus just making an assumption that puts you in a position of anger because nothing will necessarily come from that. Because when we drive our communication by emotion, emotion is a horrible driver. I've said it a million times, you will crash all over the place. But standing on the truth and approaching it with the intention of creating understanding and not just venting, huge differences can be made in that approach. Yeah. And when we communicate, Marshall, we don't repress. And when we repress, what we end up with is not overt anger, but simmering anger, smoldering anger. And then that's going to erupt at the most inopportune time. You're exactly right. I can't think of a better time to end the podcast than when an esteemed, highly awarded doctors just told me that I was exactly right. So on that note, David, thank you for sharing this time with me. I appreciate you. And I look forward to the next time that we talk. Thank you, Marshall. God bless you. God bless you. If you like this episode and if you like PChatP, you can find and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can support us at pchatp.com. We hope you join us in changing the world 
by changing how we talk to it. This episode was directed and produced by Marshall Fields with music and audio engineering by Chris Brueggemann. Thank you.